the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are what? We're healed, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of his own way. Listen, I want to encourage you with something here. When the psalmist is writing about uh, restore to me the joy of my salvation, he understands one thing. He, like all sheep, has gone astray. Even a man after God's own heart who David was, he recognized, I am a depraved man in desperate need of something. But he knew the promise of God. And what's the promise? Look at this. All of us have gone astray. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. On Christ, all of those strayings were laid. Verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. That sounds like a real warrior king. Like a lamb that is led to, be the, uh, to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked... And with a rich man in his death, although he had not, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Did you guys get that? It was the will of the Lord to crush him. Why? Why was it the will of the Lord to crush him? And if it was the will of the Lord in Isaiah, then that has to mean that it was the will of the Lord before man was created. And if it was the will of the Lord before man was created to crush the Savior, then that means God has had a tremendous plan of deliverance from the beginning. Amen? And what Peter's saying is, why would you ever take that for granted? Amidst your suffering, he's writing to his readers, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Isaiah's not done, though. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the, right, uh, shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Thank God for that line. He shall bear their iniquities. He bears our sin on His shoulders. He takes our shame. He becomes the promise amidst our depravity. In verse 12, Therefore I will divide Him a portion with the many, and He shall divide the spoil with the, with the strong. Because He poured out His soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet He bore the sin of many and now makes intercession for the transgressors. You see, the Old Testament prophets prophesied about the suffering Messiah. And that's part of the reason why the, the Jews didn't see it. They didn't want to believe that the suffering servant would actually be the Messiah. But you and I have the privilege of seeing now the blessing. Because we know without the blood, without the suffering Passover lamb, that we cannot be justified before God. But because of the suffering, because of what Christ represents, because of a God bleeding on a cross, our transgressions are born on his shoulders. But Peter says that the prophets didn't just talk about his suffering, they also talked about his what? His subsequent glory. All right? Are you reading your Bible right in front of you, right? Daniel chapter 7, look at this. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. 
And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and the kingdom that all peoples, not just Hosea, but what? Right here in Daniel, all peoples, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles, that all peoples, nations and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. The prophets were getting this picture. This Messiah is going to be so worthy of worship. I mean, he is, he is going to suffer. He's going to break down the wall between Jews and Gentiles and he is going to come in glory and establish his kingdom. And so they searched and inquired carefully. Is it now? But what, what did they find? Over and over and over. What did these prophets find? No. Nope. He's not going to come in your generation. But he's going to come later. Can you imagine the angst and the longing in the prophets? That's what Peter wants his readers to feel. Are you with me? It's that angst. I know he's going to come. But I know he's not coming in my lifetime. And I long to see it. It's that longing that Peter wants his readers to feel. Jeremiah chapter 23 says this in continuing the understanding of his glory. Behold, the days are, are, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch. His glory is found in his righteousness, a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. And it's in that righteousness that his glory will be seen because he made it capable. So, pause. Are you with me so far? Peter says... To a bunch of people suffering, you better thank God for your salvation amidst your trial. Because these prophets of long and old longed for it and couldn't have it in the way that you have it through Christ. Are you guys with me? Then he says, verse 12. It was revealed, revealed we see uh, at least 26 times in the New Testament, and it never has to do with human activity. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. These prophets were not serving themselves in hearing about the Messiah, but they were serving the church. You. How? See, um, God knows that one of our greatest sins is doubt. The prophets served us greatly and served Peter's readers greatly because as they saw Jesus bleed and die, I know my scriptures. I'm pretty sure in Isaiah 53 that's talked about. One of the greatest affirmations that Jesus is the suffering servant is all of these prophecies about his suffering and his subsequent glory coming in the person of Christ which has to beg the question, why did many of the Jews not see it? He was right there. He was right there talking to the Pharisees face to face. And yet they couldn't believe that one would come and love the unlovable. 
They were waiting for the machete. They were waiting for the grenade launcher on his back. And rather, he came fulfilling prophecy to the T. So for a Jew who knows Isaiah 53 backwards and forwards, how do they miss it? How do they miss it? That's not me, I promise. That's (laughs) not me. We're having some awesome mic things tonight. I'm really excited about that. So is revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you. Look at this. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit. Interesting. You see the difference. Verse 11 talked about what? The Spirit of Christ, Old Testament. Now we see the modern day prophets, the preachers, the apostles equipped by the Holy Spirit Now they're announcing how the Old Testament prophecy has come true in Christ. Here he is. Receive grace. Look at this line, my friends, please. By the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. I have read this line over and over and over. And I pray that you get the beauty of this line. Okay, so an angel, um, you know, and we get all these, like what they do and what they are. A celestial being in the presence of God even being sent by God at times on very distinct missions, longs to look, and the Greek word for long is almost like a lusting, longs to look at what you have. A celestial being in the presence of God longs to look at what you have. What is Peter doing here? He says the prophets, they longed, they searched, they inquired carefully about this grace that was to be yours. And then he ends with, and the angels long to look. Why? Because they can't experience deliverance. They don't experience redemption. They don't know grace like fallen sinful men do. And so the angels, celestial in the presence of God, look down and see the grace that you receive and long for it. This sense of longing, my friends, better open our hearts to the beauty of the grace that you've been freely given by the cross of Christ. Prophets all the way. And then angels long to look. And then you and I take it for granted. For as readers, it was to be encouragement amidst suffering. And for you and I, it's taking it for granted when the angels long to look at it. Because just to taste grace, just to know it, To know to be a child of God, a part of His deliverance. The angels are longing for that. So when something's new, there is this journey that one day it becomes old. 
and we take it for granted. And so many of you, when you first started relationship with Jesus, it, it was like a party, right? I mean, it was just, it was a, you just, you loved everything about it. All these new songs, all these new friends, people that actually cared about you and didn't just want you to drink with them, you know, like real people, real relationships. Have you ever wondered, like, why that gets stale? Have you ever wondered why grace gets stale? Have you ever wondered why something that the prophets searched and inquired greatly and the angels longed to look for you right now has gotten stale? Have you ever wondered that? I wondered that this week. I wondered why the psalmist prayed that. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Clearly, for the psalmist, it had gotten what? It had gotten stale, man. I mean, he, God, restore in me the joy of this deliverance. My grandfather, many of you know the story, um, was just an awesome man. And before you know it, he's, he's, he's died. And, and I, I think back on the days that I had with him. And I longed to have those moments back so that we could talk and I could ask him questions that I'd forgotten or that I should have asked. You take something for granted when you just pass by something that you, that, that just is easily overlooked. You, you take something for granted when initially, though it caught your eye and your attention and you loved it, eventually you don't even notice that it's there because it's there. And so for my grandfather, like he was there, like we had relationship. It was awesome. I loved him. But then eventually he, he was just there all the time. And, and so I eventually just took him for granted and then he's gone. Friends, my struggle inwardly has been so how can, how can we have restored joy and salvation, right? Like how can we experience that? How can... How can it not get stale? How can we have continual gospel astonishment? Are you with me? Do you want that? Because I know for many of you, man, you're in here tonight and you're just so complacent. The thought of your salvation, like kind of you're like, oh yeah, that was good. But, but now, Lamentations chapter 3. All right, look at this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Nothing is new every morning. Nothing in the flesh in this fallen sinful world is new after it's been new. What Lamentation says is his mercies are new every morning. How? How can his mercies be new every morning? Scripture says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never gets old. He never tires. 
he never ages. <laughs> Even though he's the God of the ages. God isn't like growing wrinkles. He doesn't grow old. His mercies are new every morning in that he is unchanging. He is consistent. When you are complacent, he remains faithful. How is it that we are to not grow stale in our salvation? How is it, as Peter writes to these suffering believers, that they're to be encouraged? How is it for us that we are not to take for granted the beauty of grace that the prophets wrote about and that the angels long to look at? It happens in understanding the prayer of the psalmist. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. That I can understand right now. That your mercies are new every morning. Today when you woke up, God did not sleep. And God's delivering hand was reaching down and saving more. I long to be a part of a community that has such a gospel astonishment that at the thought of His grace, the undeserved grace, that when I was still a sinner, when I was still having lustful thoughts, that when I was living in sin and jealousy, that He died for me. I long to be a part of a community that is grateful for grace. You take something for granted when you stop being grateful for it. So how grateful are you? Do you really believe that you are in need of it? Do you really believe that it tastes that sweet that the prophets of old would inquire and the angels would long to look? Because when you believe that, when you believe that His mercies are new every morning, and we plead that God would restore to us the joy of our salvation. It's at that moment that we become grateful. And it's at that moment that we taste the blessing of grace anew every day. Church, do you want that? Do you long for that? If you have your piece of paper, the bottom of it, if you have your pen, I'd like you to write something. I'd like you to write these simple words. Jesus, remind me of the power of your grace. My challenge to you is that every day, every moment, every possible chance is that you would start pleading that. Jesus, remind me of the power of your grace. Remind me of the power of your grace. We learn in 1 John that when you pray in the will of God that he hears and he answers. Reminding us of his grace, my friends, is in the will of God. Let's pray together.
God, I, uh, I pray for those specifically in this room who, um, who just have taken advantage of grace, who have gone on sinning so that they could just watch grace increase, who have just rested in themselves, um, knowing and believing the promise of your grace. I pray right now for the complacent. God, like only you can, I ask right now that you would remind all of us of your grace. And for those in here that have never tasted it, that have never known the power of it, that have never believed on you, I ask that you would open their heart and their eyes now, that they too could know the power of shame being released by the power of your sacrifice. God, I pray that you would make us a grateful church. God, restore to us the joy of salvation. Let's stand and respond.